Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I am here with George Mays, and it is Text Driven Tuesday time. So if you have your Bible, you want to grab your Bible and take it and open to Hebrews. We're back in Hebrews chapter 12, and today we're covering verses 4 through 11 on a sermon that George preached with the main theme of uh, having the right perspective and understanding of our uh, suffering. Very good. So, George, let me ask you. I got my glasses on, and I kind of need them. I've noticed more and more. Do they make me have buggy eyes? Buggy eyes? Yeah, do they look buggy? No, I don't think so. All right. They, uh, you, so uh... So it's just me. It's just me. <clears throat> like big bug eyes. I don't think so. All right. Bug eyes? Yeah. No. All right. Well, I mean, you you look at yourself in the mirror, you know, one way your your whole life, and then next thing you know, you got glasses. Well, well, now I'm gonna have to look for it, Jay. I didn't have anything, and I, I can't connect my phone, so I'm gonna have to send it. If I find it, I'll have to send it to your uh, your messenger. But uh, no, I I don't think that your glasses make you look. Well, you can say you can save it for free for all Friday. Well, we're talking about it right now, so oh, okay, okay. So, but I probably won't be able to find it. So. Don't uh, don't wait on my. <laughs> don't wait on me. Okay. Yeah. Well, so George, you were it seemed a little bit more um, anxious. I don't know if that's the right word about this sermon. A little bit worried about this sermon. Um. So before we jump in, maybe just talk talk to us about that. <laughs> <laughs> just share my uh, my personal anxieties here on the podcast for yeah. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> This, uh, where to begin? This is, um, this this passage itself is not really that difficult. And I had a, my outline was, it, it was pretty, it came pretty easily. Okay. Um, and we'll get to it. Uh, when we're, we're talking about discipline here in uh, verses five through really nine, I guess, um, nine and ten, and as I was studying, I was just thinking about people that they haven't had good dads. Yeah, like it's it's all about how God disciplines His children, mm-hmm. and He disciplines them for because He loves them. Um, some of the language that's used here is, is pretty harsh. I mean, yeah. verse six. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises. The ESV kind of makes it a little bit nicer. Uh-huh. It It's the word for whip. And uh, what the uh, King James has, scourge. Huh. He scourgeth. He scourgeth uh, every son whom he receives. And I was just thinking, I, I had it. My dad's great. Um, what if I? What if I had a dad that abused me? Growing up, so so that's the uh, what you're what you're worried about. That's kind of what for, I was. That's kind of what I was. Well, it wasn't. It was. How can I communicate this in a way that it brings everyone in? Yeah, and they understand. They they because I I think that the. Maybe the uh, the temptation is to take our personal experiences and and like try to interpret the Bible through that. Yeah. So 
if you didn't have a good dad or a dad who didn't discipline you lovingly or even a, even was abusive like how would i how would i come to this and well here's here's god and he he disciplines um and he 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 scourges <laughs> he, right. he, wh- he whips those who he s- receives so I was, I was trying to i was just trying to to think how can i communicate this in a way that um shows that god is like don't don't try to don't try to to uh, to place your 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 bad experiences on god right. and try to interpret the passage and say well god is god's because we i mean you hear uh, you hear unbelievers who uh, who talk about penal substitutionary atonement like child abuse right like that's a that that's a that's that is a criticism of of penal substitutionary atonement that uh-huh. that god is a bad father who abuses his son and kills him um and we live in a culture where where abuse is rampant like there's a lot of of bad dads there's a lot of bad there parents is, yeah. and um so wanted to make sure that the way that we're thinking about god is biblical and and recognizing what the bible says is true about god and not not trying to interpret it based on my bad experiences there's also this kind of uh element to it as well i think there's kind of a movement um, an anti-spanking movement. There is. So like a, maybe a good translation into our time would be that he spanks he every spanks, son yeah. whom he receives. Uh-huh. An anti-spanking movement led primarily by, I would say, moms, <clears throat> right? Um, that to discipline kids, you do not need to spank your children. In fact, to spank your children in any way in, the, in, the, in this move, modern movement is right. kind of... It's abuse. Synonymous with abuse. Yeah, it's abuse. Yeah. Um, so there's that to work through as well. Yeah. Um and there's also the I mean the the way that um people talk about abuse is well I'm 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 doing this because I love you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard that. That that sounds like yeah. this, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want, so we want to we want to come to the text. We want to come to the text and not water it down. We want to say what the Bible says, but we don't want to. We don't want to take the these the actions of of wicked people and say, well, God's just like them, or or I can't like this doesn't apply to me because I didn't have a good dad, or mm-hmm. you know. So that that was that was kind of. That was the main pressure that I was I was feeling is trying to make sure that I was communicating this in a way that wasn't misunderstood, right? And um, it's really easy to fail in that, right? <laughs> you know, uh, thankfully I had some people that came up and said that was that was really helpful uh, right, the right, way that right. you communicated it. So, so any weakness that that was in the sermon on, on you know was my, was my fault uh-huh. <laughs> if I didn't communicate something well that, that was on me um, but we do want to come to the Bible as God's perfect word there's there's no weakness in this so uh-huh. so the way that that God's discipline is described here is the way that we need to approach it we need to come to it and say this is this is true and it doesn't matter what my experiences have been in the past this is true um, and God God, really does love us and because he loves us he does discipline us mm-hmm. and it's I man I, I read uh i think i read all the passages on discipline from proverbs in the sermon and it's it focuses on physical 
pain, <laughs> physical discipline. Oh. Um, like using a rod. Right. So that that was the that was the main that was the main thing that I was really. Did you get spanked was, as a kid? Around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you yeah. did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Probably not as much as I deserved. <laughs> so did you have to go outside yeah. and pick out your own? I switch? did not have to pick out my own switch because my uh, my mom had to do that, and she didn't want that to be my experience. Yeah. Yeah. She. That's like a psycho. That's like a psychological. Yeah. Yeah. She. Uh, beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So she didn't want she didn't want to do that to yeah. to us. Um, so that that was the that was the main part. The other part is I I kind of went back and forth between three points and four points, and I actually had only three points, but that last point was really long, and I was like, people are, I think they're going to check out if if there's not another another hook for them to hang their their right. thoughts on so i it I, helped i divided them yeah having the points helps you to have a, a progression yeah. like if you're listening it helps mm-hmm. the listener to yeah. there's momentum gained so I, and you're so i so my last somewhere. my last point is that your your suffering has meaning and that was the last that was the third point okay because god disciplines us for our good yeah um but then it was really long um and so I didn't want to lose people, so I split it to focus on God's discipline. Our suffering is is actually God disciplining us because he loves us. And then another point, that your suffering has meaning. Right. So, so where this fits kind of in this context of where we are in Hebrews, uh, in this letter is written to people experiencing suffering, and they're facing like a tremendous pressure to uh, try to alleviate their own suffering by apostatizing and, right. le- and leaving Christianity. Mm-hmm. I think very relevant, uh, timelessly relevant um, for people who are experiencing severe suffering all throughout the world. But we have this weird kind of thing going on in America, don't we? You brought it up, called deconstruction, Mm -hmm. where um, there are a lot of reasons given for that. But what I I find to be interesting, I saw someone talking about this online, is that you you don't really see people deconstructing. Deconstruction can be a good thing, right? Like, perhaps maybe you grew up in a church that wasn't very biblical, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe had a lot uh, of fundamentalist tendencies that are based in tradition and not really based in the Bible, Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe uh, women can't wear pants, like ever. (laughs) Um, You know, if if you had any type of tobacco or alcohol, you were for sure sinning and going to hell. Um, so there are a lot of things that could be deconstructed right. to become more biblical. So we're leaving those things to become more yeah, biblical. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we probably both deconstructed things. I, I definitely deconstructed my eschatology and and uh, examined it with Scripture and, and right. came away with a different eschatology. I mean, it, yeah. another word for that would just be reforming. Refor- yeah, reforming. <laughs> reforming yourself after the Scriptures, yeah. yeah. That's not really what we see. Deconstruction today, kind of, I think it comes from social and cultural pressures that are put on pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, just talking about reforming, I think we, I think we need to stop using the term deconstructing. Right. Like Christians need to stop using that term because it's being used by people who are leaving the faith, right? As like this logical, well, I examined everything and I just kind of, I just kind of tore it down brick by brick 
they're apostatizing. Like yeah. use the like use the <clears throat> use the biblical language. Like they're they're falling away. Well, a lot of times that's what it is. Well, like I said, a lot of times it, it comes because of um, a lot of people. Well, the trend the trend is deconstructing, and then oh, surprise! Now I I don't think any Christian of the anymore. any of these sexual sins yeah. are actual sexual sins right. anymore. So you, a lot a lot of times that's what it's based in. in oh yeah, in uh, I think a desire to uh, indulge in one's own. Uh, lust, the lust of the flesh, but it could also be that they just people just get tired of having the world against them. Mm-hmm. So I'm holding the line, but the pressure becomes <clears throat> too much. I'm tired of not being ex- accepted by the broader culture. I'm tired of maybe not having a platform anymore. Like I don't have a platform right. like I could have if I just you know would deconstruct a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, and so people feeling the pressure. Or perhaps you know their children. We've talked about this before. Children, oh, yeah. like their children, go one way. Yep. The next thing you know, the parents follow. They deconstruct. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they follow because they have to choose now between, right, what I have said that I believe, um, and now where my children have gone. And right. a lot of times, people choose their children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very, very relevant. I think um, we uh, we do experience a degree of suffering. Um, in that regard, but it's very. I mean, the first point as we'll get into, yeah. like we haven't shed our blood, <laughs> right? Like so, we're we need to have a right perspective, yeah, right. And that that was the whole point of your sermon is this is to give us a right perspective um, on our suffering. Yeah. And so your your outline was they're, four they're things. Su- they're suffering. They're they're experiencing the hardships and the persecution. They're being ostracized. And yeah. um, I mean, we look at the end of chapter ten, and some of them have been publicly. Uh, maligned, and some have been thrown in the prison, and they've had their property uh, confiscated, right. uh-huh. and, and so they're, they've experienced this because they're Christians, right? Um, and so now they're being tempted because persecution has, it's amping up again, right? and they're being tempted to leave, and so he's trying to tell them, look, don't just focus on the pain, that like it's some kind of meaningless event that's happening to you. Mm-hmm. There's actually there's actually good there's actually something good coming there's something that this actually is is a good thing because God is doing something in this suffering right and so if you have this this perspective then you actually can endure and persevere through whatever the opposition is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's good and we need that because it it is amping up in America and yeah. we we. We kind of act like um, this is just the way of Christianity is the American experience mm-hmm. where it's it's been pretty much accepted and you know as long as you don't rock the boat you can practice you can practice Christianity all you want but right. that that's not that's not what is I mean you don't have to be a prophet to see where things are going in America yeah it's yeah. not it's not enough for you to well, if you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. It's mm-hmm. you have to you have to affirm and celebrate this stuff with us. Sure. Or you're a bigot. You're you're a homophobe, uh homophobe, uh, you know, whatever. Right, right, right. You remember when all of this started, um people are like, Ah, you always Christians with your slippery slopes, whatever. And yeah. Um we quick we quickly went went from we just want to get married, uh, leave us alone to yeah. 
fully embrace this or we'll destroy your life. Yeah. And not only that, you need to now accept transgenderism. Right. And I just read, there was an article and I thought it was a joke, but it, it wasn't a, this was not a joke. This was not a, like a, one of these sites, mm-hmm. like, like I thought it was like a Babylon B thing, yeah. but it was for Zooey's, you know, about Zooey's. And so they made their same case. The case that this article was making was, look, this, the reason you should accept zoe or zoophilia is because uh, the same arguments you used to make against homosexuality, you're making the same arguments here against mm-hmm. zoe. And they, went, they walked step by step. And, and they, if you're looking at it from just a purely secular perspective, they, they appear to be the same arguments, right? Yeah. It's unnatural, mm-hmm. things like this, whatever. Right. Um, <clears throat> but that's where we are. We told, like, we called oh, yeah. it a long time ago. Like this is the slippery slope. Where it's where not we're even a, it's it's not even a slippery slope. It was just a cliff. Yeah, we've <laughs> yeah. It's uh and and of course now people are, are talking about first first the first thing that happens is they kind of change the words. You right. control the language. So now pedophilia is being talked about not as right. the, the grotesque evil that it is, but something yeah. that you can look at this person uh, and say well you know there well it's it started it started all the way back with with homosexuality mm-hmm. it wasn't or sodomy i mean sodomy was the that was like the the usual language right but but now it's gay right so that you 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 change it you change the term make it sound better mm-hmm. right um and then it just slowly right just slowly inch towards Full, full on acceptance. Yeah. So that's the that's the way the pressure comes here, and of course, the the uh, the movement has all of the backing of all of the people that are pulling all the levers of influence and power right. uh, of society. So a lot of people will they, that that pressure is too much. They yep. can't take not having friends, <clears throat> not being invited anymore to things. Uh, I mean, we know people in our church that have lost best friends over this. Yeah. For you know, I've been your best friend your whole life, yep. and because I won't, you know, participate in your wedding, you're you're defriending me not on Facebook but in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. And so this pressure, uh, that's kind of how we experience the pressure. But it's worse in a lot of places for Christians, um, down to their physical physical danger, uh, even at the cost of losing their life. And and th- this uh, is written. The author of Hebrews writes this about. Having this right perspective on suffering, and you have you have four points that we'll move th- through. They're kind of things to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe you said it and like I, this, and I got that from verse five. Yeah, uh, and you the, mean you got your outline? Oh, from the you, Bible. Yeah, that's right. Well, I got that. I got that main yeah. like how I framed the uh, the points from verse five. Okay. Um, so you, you want me to read it so we can? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I can talk Let's about. Read it. Then I can talk about. Uh, I've got it. How I've I, got it here. We can throw it on the screen. I can talk about how I got that from verse five. How that that kind of framed my my outline. Okay, there it is. All right. So uh, Hebrews chapter twelve, verses four through eleven. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. All right. Very good. So verse 5, the ESV translates it as a rhetorical question, and have you forgotten? Mm Mm-hmm. But the uh, the the wet, the grammar of the Greek it could be an indicative it could be a statement you have forgotten and I I think that just in the context of the entire book the way that he's addressed them throughout he's acting as if they have so mm-hmm. I don't think that he's asking this rhetorical question I think it's I think it'd be more pointed um, if we were to just see it in the, con- in, in the light of the way that he's he's uh, talking to them in the entire book. The way that they're acting is as if they have. And yeah. so he's saying, you have forgotten. And so that's that was my uh, that's that's how I framed my entire outline. If they if they've forgotten in the first century, then <laughs> we definitely in 21st century America have forgotten. Um, and so the the points are these are things you need to remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because we we've probably forgotten also. And that's your outline. So grab your Bible, follow along. Four things to remember so that you can maintain a proper perspective on suffering. And that's four things to remember so that you can maintain a proper perspective on suffering. And your first thing that we need to remember is remember that the saints have always suffered. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay. All right. So, um, the saints through history, you could walk through, even walk through the Bible and see from the beginning of the Bible to now, to now for the Hebrews, this has been the reality uh, of saints in the Bible. Yeah. That they have experienced suffering this is this is not something that when you when you come into covenant with god uh whether in the old covenant and we can especially see that there but also in the new covenant which we say is a new covenant and and better and superior um the new covenant saints suffer as well right it goes all i mean this is the point of chapter 11 Mm -hmm. is to present this great cloud of witnesses and who does he start with starts with abel Right. What happens to Abel? Yeah, murdered by his brother, and he uh, he even says that uh, though he though he's he died, he still speaks. And uh, as we get into uh, in the chapter twelve, he's going to be talking, or further in the chapter twelve, in a couple of weeks, we'll see that um, we have a, a blood that's better than the blood of Abel, mm. and so uh, we we have this this testimony of Abel. Um, we we looked at the end of, of chapter eleven with mm-hmm. those that uh, were tortured and they were stoned and they were sawn in two they were killed with the sword. Um, but Eat, this, uh, these are the, the wild beasts. Yeah, they're the wild beast. Uh, I mean, even in the in the time that he's writing this, uh, some of the apostles have probably died by now. Uh, definitely, Christians have. I mean, they they know about the stoning of Stephen and and there's. I mean, there's just all of these these examples of of saints in the Old Testament and now into the Church Age that 
have shed their blood. Yeah. And they lived the life of faith. They endured. And so what he's telling them is put your suffering in perspective. You haven't died yet. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't you haven't shed your blood. You mean that's something that God may ask us to do? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the experience of believers for all of history. Mm-hmm. Um we we are are so quick to just kind of assume that this is this is normal in America. Liberals are going to be in a real conundrum with us in the future, right? Because they uh they'll want to do it but their liberalism won't allow them allow them, to, <laughs> allow them to put us to death, right? So they'll just have to create a nice concentration camp to to throw us all in. I, you know, you watch the you watch the uh, you know if you watch videos of these um, uh, pride parades and, and see uh, even the the vitriol of people when uh, you know the these uh, these Christians will stand outside of abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. Or, or just on street corners and just, just preach the gospel. And you see the, the, you know, the vitriol. Right. I think the liberals will get over their, uh, their, their anti-death their, penalty their stuff. Anti-death penalty stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that we, uh, there's, I've seen videos that's very clear. If, if they could kill that person right then, they would. Right. Uh, because a, a lot of this is just demonic, mm-hmm. especially uh, the abortion stuff. It's demonic. Yeah. Um, I. I think that a lot of these people, if they if they could kill the Christian that's standing there telling them not to kill babies, I think that 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 person would yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the people that are okay with killing babies, I think they're going to be okay with killing Christians. Yeah, I think they'll get, I think they'll get over it. <laughs> right. Because we'll 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 be subhuman. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we do we 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 just act like the American experience is the the common experience, and we forget. That we're the weird ones, like we're we're strange. Right. Um, the 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 freedoms that we have here in America, um, that that's weird. Mm-hmm. That's that's not the common experience for Christians around the world for most of church history. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, even as we speak, there are probably Christians in in some of these countries who are shedding their blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good to have this proper perspective for us because right now, currently, I think maybe the worst thing that could happen to you would be to lose your job. That would be pretty bad, right? Like now yeah, you're wondering, that, like, how am I going to take care of my family? Yeah. How am I going to provide for my children? Um, that would be a very bad thing, and th- and that's a real that's a reality. Yes, I think today, oh, yeah. so. and and um. You know, he he's he's not he's not downplaying their suffering. He says that that in your struggle right. against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. They they have they they are suffering. Uh-huh. Um, he's not downplaying it. He's just putting it into perspective. And I I think a lot of people, a, a lot of the pushback that that Christians have received, and some of us probably warranted because some some Christians can have like a, a martyr complex and they they like wear their suffering on their sleeve um it does hurt when when you're rejected for being a Christian mm-hmm. here in America right when when a friend unfriends you or when family members ostracize you or you're the weird person at work or you lose your job or you know what whatever I mean you're the butt of someone's joke at school uh, that that's that is persecution. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back to Matthew chapter five, when Jesus says, "Blessed are you when people revile you and they um, they say all kinds of evil things about you," like he 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 focuses on verbal persecution, right? So verbal persecution is persecution, mm-hmm. um, and and it can really hurt, but we can put that persecution in perspective with the sufferings of other saints and realize we haven't suffered that much. Right. And that's the kind of suffering that we should expect. We should expect to be verbally maligned by the culture. Yeah. Like if you're watching a TV show and they make some kind of joke about Christianity that they would never make about like Islam, you should be like, that's to be expected. They hate us. Yeah. That's what the Bible tells us to expect. I mean, right. Peter writes in First Peter chapter 4, don't be surprised at the fiery troubles that, trials that are coming upon you as if something strange were happening to you. Right. Uh, a lot of Christians have forgotten that verse. Uh-huh. Um, they're shocked when, when people treat Christians as the butt of, of the joke. Right. That's, that's, that, is the, that is the Christian experience. And... Jesus shed his own blood. Mm-hmm. Like we follow a crucified Messiah. What do you think is going to happen to you? Right. You're expecting to be treated with a you know a, a nice pat on the head. Yeah. Like we we should expect to suffer, and if it does come to that point, and I think we'll see it in America probably a lot sooner than than we might have expected, where we we are called upon to shed our blood. Right. That is what the Christian the Christian life is. Uh-huh. Yeah. True. Yes, very very good. Okay, this is point one. So we keep this in perspective. Um, we haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding our blood. But also, second thing to remember, remember that God is sovereign over your suffering. This may be one that is difficult for people. Maybe they're more of a uh, recent lis- listener to the podcast. But as you pointed out, we've talked about this at great length, uh, the sovereignty of God over all suffering. Um, and I like the way you kind of brought it up and set it up. This is not something he argues for to try to make the case that God is sovereign, right? He's right. simply just assuming yeah, it's, the it's, reality. Yeah, he just acts like it's common knowledge, and right. he quotes from the Old Testament. He's, he's, not, even, uh-huh. he's not even writing something new. He's, he's quoting Proverbs chapter 3, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not... Like he, like he said, he's not uh, he's not arguing for it. He's just assuming it. Like right. it, it just is this assumption that the sufferings that they're experiencing are from God. Yeah, and that may, that may be hard for people to to grasp. I mean, especially this is something better to nail down before you enter into suffering. Absolutely, right. Yeah. Uh, than to try to nail it down when you're in the midst of it. Right. That. All of the things that happen to the Christian in their life um, are ordained by God. Yeah. Even the bad things that we experience. Yeah, and you can see it in verses 5 and 6 where he quotes Proverbs chapter 3. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, uh, nor be weary when he uh, he is re- when reproved by him. Uh, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In the context of what he's saying in this passage, the, the discipline he's talking about is 
the suffering. Mm-hmm. It is the the uh, the hostility that they're experiencing that is tempting them to leave the faith. Um, and what he's saying as he quotes this passage from the Old Testament that he still is viewing as authoritative and relevant for the the Christian church is that these things are actually from God, that he's disciplining them, that he's reproving them, that he's chastising them. Um, so he he just it it's it's just you you could you could easily just pass over it because it's it's so easily assumed here in the passage by the author of Hebrews. Right. And he's he's assuming that the that his readers are going to understand it too. This this wasn't something controversial that this suffering comes from God. Yeah. But but here in America and you know in the 21st century, the split churches. <laughs> what we're saying here that that he's just assuming are things that uh will be called um demonic. Mm-hmm. We're, we're holding, and, and we will get into this more in your last point. But you know, uh, the, maybe one of the most famous verses in this regard is in Romans chapter eight, verses twenty-eight through and twenty-nine. Uh, but that all things work together for our good, for those who love God or are called according to His purpose. Right, um, and the good, right, can you can get this verse wrong when you impose upon it a. Uh, a worldly idea of what good is. Yeah. So we think that means no suffering. We think that means financial prosperity. We think that means perfect families, perfect children, um, this great life. But that's this is not the reason for that verse. Mm-hmm. It's right. to tell us that even this, the terrible things that happen to us in life, that they're not an accident, yeah. um, that God is working those things, has ordained them, and is working in our life through them to conform us into the image of his son. That's verse 29. Yep. And so if you don't have this ideal as the greatest good, the greatest good in my life is to become like Jesus, then you will never you will never be satisfied by this answer. Or you won't have the right understanding of your sufferings because you're seeing something else as as a greater good for you. Right. Right. Um, because you can't see the full picture. You can't see how good it is to I don't want to jump jump too much into this because you covered it in your last point. But think of the alternative. The alternative of God being sovereign over our, our sufferings and ordaining them for our good is if, an absolute nightmare. If if all things are working for good and that God is conforming us to the image of Christ, then he has to be sovereign over it. Yeah. Otherwise, you've got this picture of God who's just trying to pick up the pieces. Um, that's a fran- night- frantically. Yeah, that's a nightmare scenario. <laughs> as, ba- as bad things are happening, God's God's trying. All right, well, how how can I make this work for good? <laughs> There's a very popular book um, that I read a while back on uh, suffering. It was like a New York Times bestseller, written by a Jewish man. I believe he's a rabbi. Um, and kind of what got him down this trail, I think, was the death of his son, but. He uh, he jettisoned the entire idea th- that God was sovereign, hmm. and more like God's along for the ride. <laughs> right, right. He's here with us in our suffering, uh-huh. and He's present. I-, I don't really know how this is a comfort for people it's like because the, that's like the Jewish version of process theology, mm. right? Yeah, the 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 alternative to God being sovereign is an absolute nightmare scenario. Yeah. It's meaningless suffering. It's chaos. 
right? It's yeah. uh, it's not just chaos in like random acts in the universe that accidents happen, but it's chaos in this sense too that there are evil and, and, and demonic forces. There is actually a real enemy, a prince of the power of the air, and if God isn't sovereign over what He can do, uh-huh. because I mean. What does that even mean? <laughs> like we we you're gonna ha- you're going to you're going to get to you know um, this dualism where God and the devil are in this like uh, uh, yeah they're in a competition they're in a competition with each other. they're fighting with each other and and it's a tug of war <laughs> and sometimes God wins and sometimes you end the up devil with like wins a, and it's like it's just back and forth and it'd be interesting to see the connection between like Zoroastrianism the ancient uh, belief that emerged out of Assyria. Um, of course, you know, Assyria, you're, you're, Nineveh, you're, here we go. Re- yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're really wanting to dive down the hole this morning, aren't you? <laughs> but they had this real firm dualism <laughs> yep. of good good and evil, and uh-huh. it's almost like they're matched equally. Um, but you can help... I think that's the way a lot of people, even professing Christians, just view the world. Yeah. They view it as, as there's... It's equal sides, right? Light and dark, and uh, well, God's doing His best, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the way that a lot of people just view the world. Yeah, you brought you brought up two um, two two big ones from the Old Testament, Joseph, um, and you, at the end uh, there, when Joseph uh, of the Joseph story, mm-hmm. Joseph's brothers. Are going to come to him, and their father has has died, and they think now now that our father has died, Joseph's going to take his revenge on yeah, us. Payback time. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get what's rightfully coming because justice, right? And uh-huh. and Joseph has the means and the power to yeah, meet out definitely. that justice. And so they go and confess. Yep. And he, what he says is often twisted. Um, what he says to them is, "You meant it for evil." And that's important. It is important. And I and I uh, I I mean I, this was another place where I was like I got to get this right, so I sent it to you, mm. <laughs> and you and you responded and told me to to add a little bit, right? To to make it stronger, yeah. Right? That Joseph's brothers are responsible. Uh-huh. Like God didn't make them do this; they did this of their own volition, mm-hmm. right? Right. So they're and they confess it. They we did it. We sinned. Joseph acknowledges their responsibility mm-hmm. you meant it like you were evil and you you're the one that sold me in the slavery you did it but god is sovereign over their actions yeah god meant it for right. good so there's this kind of parallelism that's there yeah you meant it for evil god meant it for good right there are two so there are two wills at play yes always there's the human will mm-hmm. and the intention of that human will was evil right but God's will and his intention was good. Right. And it wasn't, it's not that. And, so, and I've heard many, many preachers and commentators yep. incorrectly say it's like God takes lemons and uh-huh. makes lemonade. Right. <laughs> terrible. It's actually terrible. That is yeah. not what it means at all. Right. It means that God meant it, God willed it for good. We see this explicitly in Psalm 105. Mm-hmm. So, this is not the only place where this idea behind Joseph's story is spoken about in the same way. Right. Uh, Psalm 105, when God summoned a famine in the land, that that's that's also God's sovereignty. Like the famine, which people would say, that's bad. 
God did it. He's the one who sent it. That's what kicked right. the whole story into. into right. He's the one who sent it. Yeah. This is this is the whole like the whole thing, the whole scenario. Uh-huh. It's God's it's God's plan and purpose. Right. Right. And the purpose is to get Jacob's family down into Egypt. Right. right? Which is something else that's bad. That's going to happen. They're going to mm-hmm. they're going to end up as slaves, right? It's all God's purpose. When when God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, He God had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. So he was sold as a slave. That's human responsibility. But <laughs> I love the way that the psalmist talks about it. God had sent Joseph. The, the way that it's described as as God sending Joseph like he's some kind of uh, emissary <laughs> right and yet how did he got how did he get there he was sold into slavery but it was it was God who did it uh-huh. um, and uh, his feet were hurt with fetters his neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass the word of the Lord tested him yeah so yeah. all the bad things that happened to Joseph, came from God's sovereign hand. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love I love Ruth. This is the story of Ruth. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think you, one thing that we often forget about is in this story is the whole thing that starts it is suffering. Right. There's a famine. Uh-huh. Right. Then... And there's a lot of stuff going on oh, yeah. there. I mean, in the time of the judges, uh-huh. and you've got, <laughs> you've got the whole book of judges mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, to think about. Yeah. Like all the stuff that's going on. Why is there a famine in the land? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. It's because they've rebelled, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's all. I mean, it, it's it's just it's just dominoes. If this didn't happen, this wouldn't happen, and yeah. this wouldn't happen, and this wouldn't happen, and then by the end of the book, Jesus isn't born. Right. That's <laughs> that's, that's where yeah. you end up. Yeah. But go through Naomi's perspective. What I love to do is to try to put 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 yourself in her shoes, because um, her. Her husband dies, both her sons die. She's left in the most destitute position you can be in. Right. The only thing, the only options she has, literally, in many of the background material I read, is for her to become a prostitute mm. so she doesn't starve to death. Right. Or to try to go back to her own land and maybe there'll be a redeemer there. Mm. And so she goes back. Um, of course, we know how the story unfolds that God. Uh, through Ruth, this Moabite, which is completely like, like this story is can only be written by God, and we get to the end of the story. A baby is born. We get the insider info, right? This this is uh, King David's great grandfather mm-hmm. and great grandfather, correct? Not yes, yes. And she doesn't know any of this, and she dies. So correct. this woman dies, famine, death of a husband, death of her two sons. And she gets to be redeemed through this Moabitess. Um, yeah. She sees a baby, but she doesn't know who this baby is. She doesn't know King David will come from him. She doesn't know the Messiah will come from him. Yeah. So she doesn't get answers to all of the suffering she's endured. And we can and we can we can dissect the story and just think about all of the randomness of the story. Because there's two women. There's mm-hmm. there's two daughter in laws. Mm-hmm. Right. You're right. Um there's there's Orpa mm-hmm. who goes back and there's Ruth. Was it just blind luck that one of these sons married someone that would go back with her? Like right. Ruth could have gone Ruth could have gone back to her father's house too and I mean 
I mean, just think of all the the little decisions that have to go into it. Is, is this? I mean, is this all just chance? Is it just a roll of the dice? Right. And it just worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, if God's not meticulously sovereign in this story, if even one of these decisions goes awry, it all falls apart. Yeah. No Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's mind blowing to think about the level of of God's sovereignty over these these just these what we would say random occurrences in, in life. Yep. Um, but as we see, the, there's no there's no randomness, there's no meaningless, there's no chance. And the the ultimate example is of seeing suffering and evil under the sovereignty of God is, is Jesus, right. the cross. Mm-hmm. You yep. have uh, Psalm 2 being played out uh, on the stage of the world, the world's powers, um, not just the Jews, but the world's powers against Christ. And <clears throat> these people, uh, you know, the 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 first sermons that were preached is, you killed the Messiah. Yeah, and it's it's you. You did it. You sinned mm-hmm. by killing the author, the, hands of the author men, of right? life. You yeah. killed him. Yeah. Um, this is God's predetermined. And you plan. did everything that God <laughs> God had determined for you to do. Right. Yeah. What What is it in in first? Uh, what Where is it? It's in Acts. That though they have the though they have the scriptures. They fulfilled them, right? <laughs> like even though, even though the Bible says this is what's going to happen, they did it. Yeah. <laughs> they did it anyway. Yeah. And so we can, I think, think about this in our own life too. Okay. We look back at these, yeah, these this, moments this, of suffering. This isn't. This isn't. This is just stuff that happened in the Bible. Like right. this is. This is abstract. This happened to someone else. This has direct relevance for us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we we are not immune to these things, yeah. right? Suffering happens. People will die in your life, and sometimes people will die young. Um, sometimes marriages will fail, not because of anything you know that either party has done, but because someone dies. These are terrible things, that life altering things. Um, are we to think they're accidents? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't live. Life would be unlivable to me if if the uh, if what we are saying here were not true. Mm. I don't know how you could live. Right. It's it's pure chaos. Pure it's pure it's meaninglessness, um, randomness. There, there. <laughs> the uh, a lot of people suffer from anxiety. I was suffering from it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. One of the things that that helped me was God's sovereignty, like thinking about God's sovereignty. If God is sovereign, that that kills worry. Um, but if God's not sovereign and the next thing that happens may just be bad luck. You brought up what Jesus said to his disciples. Yeah. So let's maybe share that with us. Matthew chapter 10. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He, this is in the middle of him sending his disciples out to the cities in in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't don't fear them, even though they can kill you. Don't fear them. Fear God. Um, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So sparrows, which were 
like the most what worthless of birds <laughs> they're like the cheapest yeah um not one of them dies apart from god mm-hmm. uh, not a single hair from your head will fall apart from god's sovereignty they're they're all numbered that's that's meticulous sovereignty right, right? i mean we're we're talking about things that we we don't really think about like how many hairs fall from your head every day right and you we know, and we i mean we don't even think about it here's what i find to be interesting about this whole topic like I'll set it up like this. Sproul made this comment where he said, "There's not one rogue molecule in the universe." Right, and and in that's the, in the universe, right, right. <laughs> in the in the universe, there's not one rogue molecule. Just think if there were, if there were rogue molecules, yeah, like there could be atomic explosions just happening randomly, hmm. right? Yeah, we don't see that though. And this, of course, this kind of um, determinism yeah. that seems to be locked into the universe is observed by scientists, yeah. right? So you even will have, um, I think, the most logical thinking atheists. The most logical thinking atheists will say that free will is an illusion mm. because they're seeing the universe, you know, they're looking at it as uh, purely an interaction of physical laws, and they acknowledge these laws, right? They, they can't take the next step to see that there is a someone behind all of these laws. Right. And so they they see this. There aren't random nuclear explosions happening everywhere. It seems to be that there is this type of determinism that's built in, right? There is ca- there is cause and effect. Um, you don't have effects without causes. And if you had all knowledge, literally, if you had infinite knowledge, you could look at every molecule in the universe and know what's going to happen. Yeah. Of course, we can't because we don't have that type of knowledge, not even close. But they recognize this. Um, and so they're seeing something true about reality uh, that can't possibly be otherwise. They're just not seeing that the universe is governed by a sovereign creator, mm. right? This isn't teaching that we're puppets on strings, though. So we have a way, like they'll say free will is an illusion. <clears throat> we can say free will is not an illusion that all, all, um, people have moral agency. We have moral agency. Right. So we aren't actually even a slave to the chemicals that are going on in our brain, which is right. what they believe, <laughs> yeah. right? We are slaves to the... to the, And they can't even think otherwise. This is what's amazing about to think about this. In their, in their view, they could not think otherwise and believe otherwise than they believe, but nor could the Christian. Yeah. The Christian could not ever believe otherwise than he believes because they're just slaves to the chemical reactions going on. But... We don't believe that because we have revelation given by the person who created these laws, and he's told us that he's created us as morally free agents. Right. Um, and that's an important distinction to, that that we can make. And not only is the person who gave us the moral free agency, he's good. Yeah. Because he could have been, right? He could have been just a we- like a weird, sinister dictator who created a world because he likes suffering. But we don't see that in the Bible either. Right. We see that God is good, and that any of the corruption or sin or evil that we see, the bad things that we see in the world, all have their their root and their trace to humanity. That we rebelled against our Creator, um, and that sin spread like throwing but, a rock in a pond, right. and these waves just go out through yeah. the fabric of all of space time. Right. 
but all within God's sovereign plan, sovereign decree, right? Right. Like for the ultimate good, um, which is the death, resurrection, and glorification of right of Christ. Yeah, I mean, the, all things were created by Him and for Him. Right. If you don't believe that. If you don't believe this universe exists so the cross of Christ can happen, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ can happen, yeah. you're never going to get your mind around this problem, this problem of pain and suffering and evil. Yeah. And if you can't see that, that through that, that this is the best, this wouldn't, here, here's just kind of, you know, I've told you before what I believe about this. God, being who he is, would only create the best possible universe. And the, this is the one, because this is the one that exists, and this is the one where the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ happens right. to achieve maximal glory for God, and I believe maximal glory and joy right. for the people of God. Yes. Um, yep. And it, what we can take comfort in is knowing that our God took on human flesh um, and experienced pain and suffering and went before us all the way up to, to death on a cross yeah. in his obedience. Um, and it's through that as well, likewise, that, that he is um, making us like Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the alternative, you've got a couple alternatives that just are not intellectually satisfying, nor are they spiritually satisfying. One, pure chaos, yep. randomness, meaninglessness. That's just not livable. Yeah. And then you've got uh, atheism, which says you don't have any free will at all yeah. of, any, <laughs> of any kind. And neither one of those are good. Yeah. And then you have... And atheism is still meaningless. Right. That's right. Still, that's still... Well, at the like end of the day, su- yeah. Like your suffering is meaningless. It's, it's, just, it's just nature, uh-huh. red and tooth and claw. Yeah. Just yeah. deal with it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But that's not what we see, and we'll uh, we'll get to that uh-huh. in just a minute. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we can if you are if you are about to be thrown out of your family, and you're uh, an early Christian receiving this letter. Mm. You're about to be thrown out of the synagogue, lose your family, lose your business, and here's your choice: leave Christ, go back to the old ways, or Listen to what the author is saying and understand that this isn't a surprise. Right. God has ordained this mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Um, and it will ultimately be for your good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can see it. We can, we don't have to guess at this. We can see it through Hebrews chapter 11. You go back to their, the stories of these saints and see how God has just been sovereignly um, ordaining the things that happen in their lives. And, and again, just be encouraged by the the great cloud of witnesses. You brought up Job. Before yeah. we go on, it's one of the other things that, you know, as I'm digging through this stuff, we see in Job, you brought it up, there are there are some bad actors in the story, right? And uh-huh. One primary that people think of is, yeah, Satan. is Satan, and he's this mega-powerful arch angel, uh-huh. right? So top tier. Yeah. Um, but he's restrained. Yeah, like he he can't do anything unless God gives him permission to do it. Uh-huh. We don't often think about him that way. Yeah, right. 
we kind of see him as this rogue agent just causing chaos wherever he wants. Like, right. Just rampaging through the earth, causing absolute chaos, and just absolutely destroying everything that that he can. And it's, this is helpful, I think, when we understand that in Job's life. He couldn't do anything God didn't allow. When we look at, at our culture just collapsing around us, we can clearly see behind the ver- the various ideas. These things always start out as ideas, right? Communism started out as an idea. Next thing you know, you have millions and millions of people not not only dead from bloodshed, but starvation. So these things start out as ideas. What's happening in our culture starts out as ideas. Culture's falling apart, but we have to understand that this only happens by the permission of God. Right. These aren't accidents. God's not trying to do better and failing. Right. Right. This is all unfolding according to according to God's plan. Yep. Also in the Job scenario you brought up, they're they're human actors. Yeah. The human actors The Chaldeans. They only the, act, Sa- the Sabians, is that what they're, what I, they're called? The Chaldeans for sure, yeah. yeah. They kill um they well, kill. There's a lot of stuff going they, on. Yeah, there's like they a lot. Sti- they steal all they steal the and stuff. Kill. They're killing all the servants. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're they're only allowed to do that because God allows it to happen. Right. Yeah. And we go, and people go, hey, look at your God. Like, why would he do this to someone? Job is a righteous man. Mm-hmm. Like, he's always, he's, before any of this happens, he's serving the Lord, offering sacrifices. He's a good man. Yeah. Um, but again, it comes down to what you think is the main good. Right. What do you think is the main good in, in this world? To live just a happy, peaceful life? Because the end of the story, and it's often overlooked, <clears throat> the end of the story, um, Job says these words, I had heard of you in the hearing, but now I see you. Mm. Or I know you. Right? So th- at the end of the story, my argument is, Job gets something he couldn't get apart from the suffering. That's to actually see God and know Him in a way that He couldn't know before. And the reason people don't like that is because people don't think God is is worth that. Yeah. They'd rather have their family, they'd rather have their business, they'd rather have their money, they'd rather have no suffering than to know God. That that type of thing that happens, which is, to, which is exactly what the devil is trying to that's do. What he's trying that's, what, to do. that's what he wants to do. He, wa- he wants to. He wants Job to want all this other stuff over God. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't want him to. He doesn't want him to see God as as the supreme treasure. Yeah, uh, Job says, "I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted." <laughs> right. This is the end. Uh-huh. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Yeah. Um, if, we, if people could just get a taste of what it would, what it be like to actually know God, um, even beyond like how we know him now, like there, there, there are different degrees I think of knowing God. People who have gone through suffering and been ministered, ministered to directly, because uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit is real, and and I think some people who have gone through suffering they know God better than we do. Yeah. Like there are there are Christians in parts of this world that have endured uh, 
terrible things, unspeakable things. They don't have any theology training. They don't get to read all these books we read. Maybe they have some books of the Bible they can read, but they know God better than we do in a, in, in a real experiential way. Um, and C- that's, C.S. Lewis said the pain is God's megaphone. Yeah, it's true. Yep. So, well, let's go on to the third point, or we're going to go on this podcast for like two or three hours. How about that? <laughs> go back and go back and uh, and watch the uh, the episodes on the problem of evil and suffering. Yeah, right. It's been a while. Um, so this third the third point, we need to remember, and I can't remember if I caught this whole thing because I was, you know, had children with me i saw you out of the corner of my eye i'd see every once in a while lean over yeah probably that wasn't as distracted as my own kid uh being loud and having to be (laughs) oh while you were preaching dragged out yeah that's fun right (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it's all about discipline Uh, right it's all about discipline my wife was my wife was having the discipline one day george you're going to look down and you're going to wish that you could see it again yeah well some of it. <laughs> yeah. Take my word for it, my friend. Take my word for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the one of my one of my favorite memories from uh, from preaching is uh, well, it wasn't it was it wasn't preaching, but it was it was like right after, either right before or right after the scripture reading. Uh, Julia having to drag Phineas out when he was like two, mm. maybe three. And him screaming, "I'm pooping!" I'm pooping. <laughs> it was it was at, it was at a quiet part <laughs> in the service. Yeah, I'm pooping. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, it's uh, it's just life. Yeah, <laughs> it's just life. <laughs> so the third thing to remember is that this discipline is coming from a loving father. And this is the one I think you worried about all, as you uh, yeah, were preparing yeah, the sermon. Uh-huh, yeah, right? yeah. So you're, suffering, he says, is discipline, and it's discipline because God loves you, and um, that can be hard for us to to accept. I think sometimes that the pain that I'm experiencing, um, the trials that the and the pressures. And temptations that might be um, causing me to think, well, it might be better if I just wasn't a Christian, mm-hmm. or I, or I can compromise um, to fit in. Those things are actually God disciplining you because He loves you, mm. and He He disciplines His children. Right. This is a hard one, as you said. You were trying to be. Uh, a good pastor and try to get into the shoes of perhaps people that could be sitting out listening or maybe even those that would listen online because people, a lot of people have never experienced uh, having a father who, who does discipline them, but is actually because he loves them. Yeah. I mean, we, we're in a culture where there's a bunch of absent fathers. There's a, a lot of uh, passive fathers that, don't discipline their kids. Mm. You know, they just, I've been working, I come home, 
I don't want to deal with it. Well, a lot of yeah. people view God like that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like, God's uh-huh. busy running the universe, you know, right. and yeah. he, he loves us, so he lets us do what we want. Yeah, yeah. You know um, what I mean? Or, you know, we talked about just uh, abuse that might be disguised as, as discipline. Right. You know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, trying to try to communicate uh, correctly what this passage is uh, is saying. Yeah, and uh, it, really, the 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 heart of it is found in verse seven. So he quotes he quotes Proverbs three verses eleven and twelve, but but verse seven that that kind of gets at the point of it. And again, um, I don't like the way that the ESV translated it, but uh, that's why we have different translations, right? We can compare the the different translations. The ESV says it is for discipline that you have to endure. <sighs> I don't know. For me, for me, that I don't quite grasp what what that says. <laughs> but again, that's a that's a, that's an indicative statement. It's a it's just a it's just a description. But the Greek the Greek grammar could be translated as an imperative, as a as a command, and I think that's better. Because again, the context of the book, the reason why he's writing it is not because they're in, enduring the way that they should. They need to be told what to do. Um, and so I think the Christian Standard Bible and the in the NIV get it right. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible says, "Endure suffering as discipline." Mm-hmm. So it's it's a command. Endure suffering. Uh, the NIV has hardship. Endure hardship as discipline. Oh. So have a have the right perspective on your suffering, right? Endure it because it's actually discipline. Mm-hmm. You've been you've been kind of you're 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 uh, you're slipping. You're you're being tempted to leave because you're not enduring suffering as discipline. You're enduring suffering as just suffering. It's just right. pain. Um, right. But if you have a right perspective and understand that your suffering is actually from God's sovereign, loving, fatherly hand. And it's for your discipline. That perspective will change the way that you, right. you actually go through it. Right. Right. And yeah. that, that's that's really the point of of this uh, this this part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can identify with this um, on a couple of levels. First off, I had a good father who disciplined me. Um, so, and I know not everyone had that, but when I look back at raising, like you know, I have strong-willed children, and we had someone tell us when Drake was very young, because it was he was a challenge, um, that being this strong being having like being that strong willed, which in the beginning comes out as opposition toward authority. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh it can go one of two ways. <clears throat> if disciplined properly, those people can grow up to be good leaders, like incredibly productive adults. Um if it goes bad, then they become like criminals. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So there's tremendous p- potential for for that. So, you know, disciplining him was a challenge as is Evangeline. Brooke was easy. It's like God knew like uh, we need a break. We need a break. <laughs> we need to recover. When it's going to take us about it's going to take us about 12 years to recover before we're yeah. ready for it again, but here it is, second time. Evangeline. So, um we discipline them not and they you know at the time they don't enjoy it they don't like it they rebel against it you know i had drake gritted his teeth at me one time and clenched his fist 
I think I've said that before. I've told you before. I probably even said it on this podcast. I said, Drake, you're like a wild horse. I had I had I had a day off for the army, right? Uh-huh. And spanking him didn't work, yeah, because he was too old and not gonna like beat my child, yeah. So we're beyond that phase. So I I was like, Drake, I don't have anything to do today. Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here with you like the whole day until you submit. So you know, go back in the corner, <laughs> and uh, and I said, you're like a wild horse. I'm gonna break you today. And he goes, he turns around, he gritted his teeth at me. He was, I think he might have been four years old, maybe three. I think he was three. He said, You'll never break me. Clenched his teeth and like had his hands fist like like he was gonna punch me. <laughs> so I just gra- I just grabbed my coffee and sat down in my chair and said, All right, we'll see about that. Yeah. We'll see who who gives in first. Go back to the corner. And uh, eventually, you know, he had to work through it. He he became a very great kid, great child. Yeah. But just think, like, if I didn't love him, I'd be like, whatever. Here's some Jolly Ranchers. Go leave me alone. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Go terrorize the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Um, because people don't love their children, don't, don't discipline them. Well, this is where I, I, I could have... I could have chased this. Like there, there is some, there's some things we can think about in this passage that, that aren't really the purpose of the passage. Um, there, there's some application for us as parents that we can see in this passage mm-hmm. as we look at how God disciplines. But I didn't want to spend a lot of time in the sermon because that's not the, that's mm-hmm. not the application that, that he's trying to make. He's not trying to teach us how to be good parents. He's trying to show how God is a good father. He's, sim- he's simply assuming a good father yeah. would discipline their children. Uh, so, so some things that we see in the in the scripture is that um, the the Bible is very clear that that fathers, especially, are supposed to discipline their children, mm-hmm. right? And we see it all throughout Proverbs that we're not. If well, let me, let me <laughs> all right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. whoever spares the rod hates his son, uh, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Yeah. Um, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. I, I think that that's that's a, uh, alluding to the law in, in Deuteronomy that if you have this wild, um, insubordinate, drunkard son that won't won't submit to his parents, he's supposed to be stoned to death. No, this isn't a little kid. This is this is like a grown adult, right? Probably more like an older teenager who's mm. just like a hooligan. Um, it's the death penalty. Discipline your son when he's young, so that he doesn't get put to death. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. That that shows us that this is not abuse. Like this isn't just wailing on him. Um, but also is if you spank your kid, he's, he's not going to die. Like, like this isn't going to, this isn't going to kill him. Yeah. You've got, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you, if you discipline your children while they're young, uh-huh. then you'll get to enjoy them as teenagers. Right. That's, that's kind of, that's yeah. been my experience. Yeah. If you don't, my observation is you're not going to enjoy them as teenagers. Mm. It's going to yeah. be miserable. Yeah. Um, so, so. Christians, and again, this isn't a suggestion. Like the Bible commands parents discipline your kids. Um, you're you're supposed to do it. Um, 
the uh, the second thing is to remember that discipline is not always punitive, right? And uh, we need to we need to remember this also in this passage that there these Christians aren't being disciplined because of 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 any particular sin, right? This this isn't suffering as a consequence of something that they they, they done wrong, done. Right. right? It's actually to keep them from sinning. That's what the discipline is for. And that's a lot of the discipline that a parent is supposed to... Probably the majority. Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, that we're, we're, not just, we're not just trying to, uh, to punish because of sin, but we're trying to instruct so that you won't, <laughs> so you won't sin. Right. right? And, and the word that's translated here is discipline, um, it uh, it's actually translated in Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen as training, right? So it, it carries the idea of of instruction. Uh-huh. Um, Ephesians six four uh, fathers you're supposed to you're supposed to um, uh, raise your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. In other words, you're supposed to teach them how to follow Jesus, right? Right. Um, and so uh, I don't just I don't just discipline my kids when they do something wrong I, i'm trying to teach them how to do things that are right right especially the boys right like here's how you talk to a man right look him in the eye uh like don't give him a you know a, a limp a limp wristed handshake like grip his hand um really trying to work on don't interrupt adults when they're talking right um kids are really bad about that we're still working on that <laughs> i mean even uh, even yesterday, <laughs> Julia and I were talking in the living room and Josiah comes up and starts talking to me. I'm like, you have to stop. We're talking. Right. And, he, and then instead of stopping, he, he starts whispering. <laughs> like, that's what I'm trying to get. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you don't like, like your parents are talking. You wait, you wait your turn. Yeah. Uh, that's discipline. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, uh, and it's not, it's not, uh, you're interrupting, go stand in a corner. Mm-hmm. It's like. No, this this is how you interact with adults. Like if an adult is speaking, you're the child. You wait. Um, things like that. That's that's discipline, mm-hmm. right? Um, and God does that. God yeah. does that. He he's not. He's this. And and again, he he tells them, uh, quoting Proverbs. Don't don't. There's two ways to respond that are negative. Don't don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. But also, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary, and uh, you you can you can go too far in on one side or the other. You can act like this is this is dumb. <laughs> you can be you're never going to break me, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, uh, and and treating discipline as if it's not necessary or this is this is stupid or you know not taking lessons from it um, or you can become discouraged and you can think God doesn't, he doesn't love me. Mm -hmm. Um, And he doesn't want them to grow weary. He wants them to know that God is doing this because he loves his children. Right. Like a good father who disciplines his son. God is a good father who lovingly disciplines his children. And we know that because he, this is how he treated Jesus. And that's something that maybe people don't think about. Right. That that God actually, uh, that Jesus experienced discipline in the days of His flesh. So, 
Hebrews 5, 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Mm-hmm. And that, that, can be a, that can be a little bit of a, a challenge for people to think through if, they, if, they're, not, if they're not used to thinking in, in terms of the incarnation mm-hmm. or the Trinity. Like as the, as the eternal son of God, Jesus is perfect, but as the incarnate one, as the one who takes on human flesh and he's born and he grows up, he learns obedience. Not that he ever sinned. You see, like the, right, like the you see, like the tightrope we have to walk. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, the, like the like we have to be very specific. Um, we have, we have to be very precise. He didn't sin, but as a man, he did have to. We've talked about he didn't just go into God mode mm-hmm. when when things got hard. He had to walk. He had to live by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to believe and obey God's word. He had to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, he had to obey God even when it was hard. Yeah. Um, I was thinking uh, our scripture reading in the church service was uh, it ended with uh, with his family thinking that he was crazy, and so they were going to come and and take him home. <laughs> they were going to come and seize him. I think is what Mark the, the language Mark uses. Um, that's rejection by your family right. that Jesus experienced. Mm. And Jesus had to learn to trust God through the discipline um, as he was being rejected by his own family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if Jesus learned obedience all the way to the point of death on a cross, then we also should submit to God's discipline because he loves he loves Jesus. <laughs> he says he is his uh, his only begotten beloved son. If if he disciplines Jesus, he's definitely going to discipline us, right? Yes. Um, so we need to submit to uh, to God's discipline because He loves us. Yeah. And uh, the flip side is those He doesn't discipline are illegitimate children. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's As where it, that's where you need to worry. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> The 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 uh, the you need to start examining your life if you don't experience discipline. Yeah, good. Fourth point: uh, remember that your suffering has meaning. It can be di- very difficult, as I said. You can't see it in the in the time of the, as the suffering is going on. You 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 do not have the perspective to see that, and it is many times it's not for maybe years later that you could even look back and see it. We may never. Like you, like you were talking about, yeah. Uh, Naomi, uh-huh. like she didn't see, she didn't see the end results. We can right. think of John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. John the Baptist didn't see the end results. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was left in prison until they killed him. Yep, that's right. Um, yeah, but we we see here that that suffering does have a meaning, and this this has to follow God being sovereign. If God's not sovereign over our suffering, then it doesn't have a meaning. If our suffering isn't discipline from God who loves us, then it's not going to have a meaning either. Mm-hmm. So it, it all follows that if this is true, God is sovereign. If it's true that our suffering is actually discipline because God loves us, then he's disciplining us for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he's sovereign, it will happen. Mm-hmm. It will it will be accomplished, and so 
verses nine and ten, we have um, this uh, compare and contrast between our earthly fathers and the father of spirits, and um, what that uh, what that means is he's just setting up. Here's literally fleshly fathers, and the father of probably our spirits. So, not uh, he's not trying to say more than than what it just setting up this contrast that we have earthly fathers, we have our heavenly father, and um, if we respect our earthly fathers as they discipline us, then we should also honor God. Um, who's our heavenly father. The Our earthly fathers, they discipline us for a short time. Uh, there's a limit to what we as, as earthly fathers can do for our kids. Um, they grow up and they move out and the dynamic changes, mm. right? They're not under our house anymore, right. um, our roof. And so we, we don't, uh, we don't have that same, there could, there's going to be holes. There's going to be gaps where we maybe we didn't discipline the way that we should. Maybe there's something that we we failed to to get across to them. Mm. That's not going to be. That's not true for God. That our earthly fathers discipline us for a short time, but He disciplines us really our entire lives, um, and He will accomplish what He sets out to to right. do. Um, they discipline as seem best to them that implies that there's failure, <laughs> that there's weakness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, I know that there's been times that I haven't, it's hard to, it's hard to discipline your kids, right? Right. Like that's not, that's not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to be lazy and apathetic because, well, I've been working all day. I don't want, I don't want to do anything else. Um, but it's also easy to discipline out of anger. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we could think about here, um, as earthly fathers. Like, how are we supposed to discipline? Why are we disciplining? Are we disciplining because you're bothering me? <laughs> um, you know, kids acting like a fool in in a store, and we're not really disciplining because we love them. We're disciplining them because they're embarrassing us. <laughs> and we don't want them to embarrass us anymore. Mm. You know, there's, there's, um, I mean, there's, there's wrong ways for us to discipline. Mm. Um, am I, am I, am I heavy on the punishment side? But I'm not, uh, I'm not communicating the gospel. Yeah. Um, like, am I pointing them to Christ? Mm. Am I, am I just trying to get them to behave, or do I, I want to communicate to them? The reason why you're doing this is because you're you're a sinner and you're rebelling against God, and, mm-hmm. and you need you need to trust in Christ. Right. Um. So there's a lot of pitfalls, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we do the best that we can, right? Um. But God always disciplines us for our good, mm-hmm. and that's that's pretty encouraging, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, this this it's it's God is sovereign, right? Um. Again, we not everyone has good dads. Not everyone had a dad that was that was around, um, but not true with God. God, God will always be there. He'll never leave us. Um, he he won't fail us. Um, he um, he works in our lives 
to discipline us and he's wise and he's good and he is um, he's loving and so the way that he disciplines will always be good and the result will be our good and uh, that good is spelled out mm-hmm. in verse 10 yeah uh, that we may share his holiness yeah and that's um that's really good. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's. Right. I think that's parallel to uh, to Romans eight twenty eight and twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the same idea that uh, those he uh, those he foreknew he he called or he predestined those he predestined he called uh, he justified he glorified um, he is uh, the the purpose is that we might be conformed to the image of his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. Yeah, right? um, I, I think that's the same idea that that's going on here in right. verse ten. That He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Right. That means that we'll become like Christ. Uh-huh. That we'll be conformed into Christ's likeness. Right. And, and this is, I mean, this is really amazing. I mean, we we hear it so often that again, that this is stuff that we hear and we think about so often. That we can we can often just lose sight of how amazing it is that we were enemies of God, we were estranged from God, and God sent His perfect Son, who was always obedient to Him, to die for us, the the people who always rebelled, mm-hmm. so that we might be adopted into His family, right, and be sons. Yeah, we can think about this incorrectly too. Because there's a level of this that is beyond our, I think, our ability to even grasp. That's captured by Peter in Second Peter one four. Um, we think of conformity, conform to Christ, as like upping up different levels to where we're like we're holy to various degrees, we're leaving sin to various degrees. But uh-huh. we fail to realize that one day this will actually be complete. And we will actually become like Christ, yeah, yeah, in perfect holiness. Yeah, you want to you want to read that Second Peter part? Yeah, there's no way I was going to bring that up in this already lengthy sermon. Okay, because that's, <laughs> that's that's uh, that that is a um, that's a great verse. Well, I'll start in verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Yeah, you might become partakers of the divine nature. Yeah. That's um, that's heavy stuff, right? Really and is. it isn't saying that we become a god, right? But there is something beyond more. It, it's something more human than we can experience in this world. First John three says that that uh, when he comes, we will be made like him because we will see him as he is. Mm-hmm. It's like the very the very sight of Christ will make us like him. And and if we're uncomfortable with it, I mean it clear this the Bible clearly says it. Yeah. Become partakers of the divine nature. That's only possible, I would say, if the incarnation takes place. Yeah. Because God can take on human nature onto himself. Yeah. Right. We can never take God nature onto our own self right. by our own doing. Mm-hmm. Um but in this mysterious verse we have this great promise that we're going to transcend our reality. 
yeah. as we know it. Everybody's looking for this trend, this kind of like a transcend, transcending or this ascension. Uh-huh. Uh, Enlightenment. I, I found this guy, I screen recorded some of it. I'll bring it out on a free-for-all Friday, but he believes that um, he has merged with a alien entity. Okay. And he has this, like, there were tons of people on this, like, live feed. <laughs> and they're, they're like, yeah, it was wild stuff, man. But um, he, and I'm, I'm not doubting that he did. I just know that it was a demon. But, <laughs> like, people, people are searching for this way to transcend this reality. Right. That's already promised to you in Christ. Uh-huh. That you will leave this world and its sinful desires, right. and you'll enter another reality, um, and not just a floaty around. We've talked about this before: the spiritual right. reality. We're talking about a real physical reality yeah. where you become glorified bodies. What it means to be a true human, right? That is in communion with God, such that Peter can say, "You become a partaker of the divine nature." Yeah. There is the creature distinction, uh-huh. as this is something granted to the creature, right? But that should blow your mind. Yeah, that's worth enduring suffering for. That that's that really is the. I mean, we could have we could have just taken verse ten and just just parked on it yeah. for an hour yesterday. Um, if if this is the goal, and it has to, and and God in his in his wisdom, right? Like God has ordained that we we'll, we will get here but it comes through suffering then as christians we should we should just say bring it on like whatever whatever it takes like if, if this is what it takes if god is sovereign and he knows in his sovereignty and his wisdom that this is this is how we we get to this goal then we should have a proper perspective on our suffering and say Whatever it takes, whatever I have to go through, whatever the sorrows and the pain and the rejection and even shedding blood, if it gets me to this goal, then I will do it, and I will do it with rejoicing. Mm. Yeah, but but we we often we um we we don't have that goal in our mind. I mean, a runner. We we talked about this last week. That that survey. The the best part of running. Seventy-eight percent said the the finish line, like crossing the finish line. Right. Uh, so that helps them to keep going. <laughs> you you have the goal in mind. If we keep this goal in mind, that we're going to share in God's holiness, um, then we will run the race with endurance. Yeah. Right? Good. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Well, I think it's time that we shut it down. Thanks right. for joining us today for our text driven Tuesday. And uh, we'll see if we're back Friday or not. I'm not sure yet if we're going to make it, but we may be. We may be back for all Friday. If this has been a blessing to you, please uh, maybe write us a review and share this with your friends. It's our hope that this helps you to be more and more conformed to Christ. That is the goal, as you can see from even this passage, that we would be becoming more and more like our Savior. So thanks for joining us today. Hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.